All right, so if you look on your worship guide, um, we have two passages, and I'm going to throw it up here on the screen as well. We are going back to, last week we look at, looked at Acts 1-8, we're going to look at it again, and then we're going to jump into Revelation 7 and 9 through 12. So if you got your worship guide, if you got your Bible, or if you just want to look up on the screen, uh, Jake, if you will, walk us through this passage. Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Revelation 7, 8 through 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from, even, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Very good. Thank you, Jake. If you will take that back to Andrew. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we've heard uh, your word and now we're going to uh, jump in and try to explain these things um, that you've you've declared to us and, and think about the application on a regular basis. So Father, I do pray that you would open up our hearts and minds, that we would see the truths from your word that you and you only have for us today as you continue to grow us and mold us uh, day by day into the image of your son. And as I usually pray, Lord, may every word that I speak that is not of you just quickly fall to the ground and be forgotten. But the words that come from you May they sink into our hearts and change us forevermore. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So today is um, a little bit of a sad day for some of us because, look, our table is completed. So we've been going through, I guess it's 13 weeks now, we've, we've been walking through the table, and if you're new to Redstone, we have a table on our logo, and the whole table represents Christianity. Now, obviously, I'm not going to do a review of each of those legs today, because that would get us through the end of the day, and we wouldn't be able to jump into these passages. But we are on our last leg today, and it's multiplication we had um, Adam Stein um, talked about seed multiplication, and then last week we talked about regional, regional multiplication, and today we are going to be looking at global multiplication, okay? And then we're trying to take this tool um, and use it for discipleship purposes so that we will be able to take the table and sit down with new believers or people that have been Christians for a long time and just walk them through each of these legs because, again, it represents Christianity. So we started with this definition. So the definition, gospel-centered multiplication. God, who in His generosity gives and shares good gifts to His people, commands multiplication in which followers of Jesus Christ are made through witnessing discipleship, church planting, and the global effort to share his gospel with all of the world, which is our last leg today. Okay, last week we were reminded that salvation comes with multiplication purposes for each of us. Uh, we see it in the Great Commission. Dr. Danny Aiken, he's, he has a saying where he says, last sayings are lasting sayings. And the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven was where we get the command part of go. He says to go and to make disciples. 
And we were also reminded from our passage in Acts 1.8 that our ability to go rests upon his power, or dunamis was the word that we looked at last week. It's his power working in us. It's his strength. It's his gospel, his power, but we are still to go in his power. We discussed that gospel multiplication begins with wherever you are planted. We said we start in Jerusalem, and then you go into Judea, and we ask the question of where's your Jerusalem? Oftentimes that's your immediate family members, you know, or your neighbors or people that are closest to you, but it starts with where you are planted, and then we move on to other regions. And then lastly, we said that if we are going to be faithful to our call to go make disciples, then we must truly understand the gospel. We have to start there. We have to regularly be in the Word of God. We must be simply willing to go. And then lastly, when we do go, we must be willing to go in His power and in His strength. But global multiplication takes us from these 12 men in the Middle East, and it works its way all across the globe, even into Carter County and South Johnson City. So here's a question for you. Um, and you can actually shout this out if you want. What's the largest crowd that you have ever seen? Who has seen more than 100,000 people at one place? Okay, who's seen more than 200,000 people? Okay, just curious. What, what was that? What was the event? Concert? Well, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers, what else? Football, right? Over 200,000 people at a football game? That's a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people. How about over 300,000? Over 300,000? What was this one? Promise Keepers? Over 400,000? Wow, that's a lot of people. Okay, I remember um, years and years ago, this is probably back in the mid-90s, I've got two brother-in-laws, and I don't have anything in common with either of my brother-in-laws at all. Um, but they both really loved NASCAR, so I thought, well, there's a way, borrowing from Jake and Katie, there's a way I can uh, develop a relationship with them. If they like NASCAR, I'm going to get into NASCAR and start going to the races with them, which I did, and it was funny. For a season, I actually became a Jeff Gordon NASCAR, like a geek. I even had the bag in it, the scanner. I know, Josh is like, no, you didn't. I did. I really did. So once upon a time, my brother-in-law, Tony, and I, we got in his little beat-up car, and we drove from Elizabethan all the way to Indianapolis. And we went to a race called the Brickyard 400. That may not mean anything to anyone here, but this is where the Indianapolis 500 is, is, you know, takes place with open wheels, but this was NASCAR. The point is, at the end of the race, I went up to the top of the stands, and I'll never forget this, and I tried to take pictures, but it just didn't do justice. And as far as, you know, the race was over, and people were going north, and they were going south, and they were going east, and they were going west. As far as I could see, and we just sat there, you know, just didn't say a word. It was like billions upon billions upon billions of ants going in all directions. And it was 325,000 people, you know? I had just never seen that many people before. But that image will never leave me. So go back and look at this passage in Revelation 7, 9. Look what he says. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before of the throne, and the Lamb of God. And what we see here is just a glimpse of what it is going to look like one day. And our minds cannot fathom 
this number, not just numerically, but just how integrated it is with people from all over the place. And this should be an encouragement to those of you that have come out of the mission field and those that are you know, in the mission field and you're thinking, I'm not getting a lot done, these people aren't responding. But at some point in time, the gospel does permeate every tribe, you know, every tongue, every language, and every nation. For truth number one, in your worship guide, if you fill in the blanks, it is and always has been the Lord's purpose to reach people from all over the world. This is important even for us in Elizabethan. We're starting this church plant here, but our goal has to be global. We have to be thinking about what the Lord is doing in other parts of the world. Listen to these verses. I could read a lot more than these, but here's three passages for you. This first one is in Isaiah 49.6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation, listen to this, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Acts 13.47 For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to, guess where? The ends of the earth. Matthew 24.14 And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then Jesus says, the end will come. At sermon prep this past Sunday, 345 on Mondays at the coffee company, you get free coffee. We had a bunch of people there this past week. It was good. You should come. That was my plug. It gives us uh, just a, a week excuse to just jump into the Word of God and watch it come alive. That's all we were doing. But last week we looked at Galatians 4.4. 4. And in Galatians 4.4 4, it has this phrase that says, When the fullness of time came, and as we'll see next week, that was when Jesus came. But when the fullness of time came, it shows us and reminds us that God has had a plan from the very beginning. And part of that plan was to see the gospel go from one part of the world unto all regions of the earth. So then the question becomes, well, why is that a part of his plan? Now, this almost looks too simple. It's profound, it's incredibly important, yet it's very simple, and it takes us to truth number two. Truth number two, God really does love people. You know, period. For God so loved the world speaks to, and it's implied there, that it's all people from every tongue and from every nation and every color and of every tribe. Jesus does love the little children, all of the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight, and no, I shall not sing it, though you're probably dying for me to do so. But if Jesus loves the red and the yellows and the blacks and the whites, then we must as well, because his love for humanity should remove, which we discussed this about three months ago, it should remove any racial prejudices that we might, prejudices that we might have. 
these barriers cannot exist in our hearts and our minds as we continue to follow Jesus. Because basically, it doesn't matter what language or color, people are the same. We're just all the same. People were born from dust, and we come into this world, and we sang about it in our second song today. In the first verse, it says, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade, they're not enough. We go into this world, and we're looking for identity. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for acceptance, and we're looking for love. And that is the same here, but that is the same from every tribe and from every nation all over the world. And we only find these things in Christ himself and in the gospel. But this is why Romans 12, 3 reminds us, don't look um, upon yourself you know, more highly or don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but think soberly about yourself. I'm not that important. I'm not that good. I don't have you know, the smarts. I don't have it all figured out. I am nothing. I came from dust, but for the grace of God. And that's the same for everyone else. We should never look down on anyone else. And then back to our Acts 1-8 passage, it's by His power that we are able to be witnesses. Now, last week, again, it was regional. So we talked about Jerusalem. We talked about Judea. And now we're looking at Samaria and what Samaria represents to us and then to the uttermost parts of the world. So just briefly, Samaria, I won't give you the the whole synopsis, but it was the northern part of of Israel, and they were half-breeds, okay? The, The pagan nations... Had had you know bred you know you know you know had um, relations with you know these, these these ladies and then these babies were born and they ended up being half breeds and for that reason the Israelites looked down upon them with disdain they only followed the first five books of the Bible they said we worship on Mount Gerizim and the Israelites said no it's in Mount Zion and the point being for us today is. They were looked down upon because the Israelites said they don't think like us, they don't worship like we do, their lineage is sinful, or whatever. We've got the rights, we've got the goods, we've got the answers. We don't know about those guys. And there's a, there was a chasm that existed between the Israelites and the Samaritans. And then John 4 tells a story about Jesus saying, I actually need to go through Samaria. And he goes into Samaria, and you know the story. He finds this woman, and she's at the well. And first rule that he broke was he was actually having a conversation with a woman and culture that wasn't accepted at the time. And now he was doing the same thing with a woman in Samaria. And I think that the disciples, though they wouldn't say it, they probably thought Jesus has lost it. What is he doing? And he reveals himself to this woman. Okay, And then all of the world knows the story of the Good Samaritan where you've got the, you know, the man, he's, he's broken and he's hurting and he, he needs medical attention, he needs food and he needs clothing and he needs shelter, and the priest and the Levi go on the other side of the road, but the good Samaritan comes and takes care of his needs. And the, you know, in doing this, the Lord is, is telling his disciples that um, God's love spreads beyond us four and no more. You know, his love spreads to all people, even people that we don't fully understand and that don't look like us and that don't think like us. And this is significant for us because if we're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea and into Samaria, we will have to cross barriers of some sort, okay? The barriers might be religious or they might be cultural or they might be historical or they might be a language barrier, 
but he calls us to go and we must be willing to step into those regions and to connect with those people in some way relationally because God loves them too. And he's given himself for them as well. And in our society today, we live in what we would call a pluralistic society. Okay, And in this pluralistic society, we all believe different things, but we just tolerate one another's beliefs. And we say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. I'm, yeah, I'm good with that. And we go our merry way. And Jesus didn't do that. He stepped into this earth and he said pretty clearly, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Acts tells us that there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. We have the answer, and the answer is Jesus, okay? So taking and pulling from the rule book of the pluralistic society, that's just not going to be enough. It is good for us to rub shoulders with people that are not like us, but we also be, must be willing to step in and to share truth with them, which is why I pray for you and I ask that you pray for me that God would give us what we call gospel boldness. Absolutely step into relationships with people absolutely get to know people that are not like you, but also be willing, um, Colossians 4.2, we quote it all the time, remain steadfast in prayer and watchful in it. So as you're watchful, pay attention to these conversations, and when you see a door open, the Lord's opening up this door, gospel boldness, be willing to step in and be willing to share with those individuals. So as we talked about last week and asked the question, so you think about Samaria in your life. Where is Samaria to you? To you, not to me, but to you specifically. Where is the line where you connect with people with other religious beliefs that are in your world? Or they were raised differently than you? Or maybe they voted differently than you? And they basically live differently than you? First question is, where is your Samaria? And then the second question is, are you willing to step into those regions? Are you willing to step into those regions? Casting Crowns sings a contemporary Christian song called If We Are the Body, and it includes a very powerful line where it says this, Jesus paid much too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come. That's a powerful line. Jesus paid much too high a price for us to say, yeah, but they're just so different. I'm not going to step into that Samaria because that would be really uncomfortable. And we forget that the Lord gave his life for those people as well, which takes us to truth number three. If we're going to take this command for global multiplication serious, it will not be easy. And yes, it will make us uncomfortable. Willing to get uncomfortable for Jesus' sake? We absolutely must, people. We must. You know the answer to this one. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you learn to ride a bicycle? You practice. How do you learn to ride a motorcycle? You practice. You know, how do you learn to drive a car? You practice. You know, scripturally, we're not great with hospitality. Cammie and I had this conversation probably about three years ago. And Scripture said, practice hospitality. Well, how do you get better at it? Well, you practice. How do you get better at connecting with people that are not like you? 
Well, at a minimum, try it one time, and then try it a second time, and then try it a third time. And the more you practice doing so, the better you will become at it. And you've heard me say it several times, but that was when the life, light bulb went off in my life. When I looked at my world and I said, I pretty much rub shoulders with people that are a lot like me. And I don't know how to connect with people that are not like me. And I just kind of made a decision. I put a block of time into my schedule and I said, I'm going to go, this sounds weird, but I said, I'm gonna go kill spiders. You know, because I was a kid and I was arachnophobic and I hated spiders. And in this moment, I was like, well, what's the best way to overcome your fear of spiders? Just go kill spiders. You know, what's your best way to overcome this fear of sitting beside and talking to people that you don't know how to connect with? Just go do it and see what happens. And it really did change my life. And I still have relationships with those people on a regular basis. And I still connect with those people on a weekly basis. It's practice. You know, practice is what we need. So if you say stepping into Samaria makes you a little bit nervous, well, guess what? It makes all of us nervous. We need to be willing to do it anyway. And then truth number four is this. There will be one incredible big table event in heaven one day. Now, big table, it's a redstone phrase that we use. So we have um, community groups that meet on Sundays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays right now. And then every once in a while, a couple times a semester, we have a, a big table, which is basically a party. We have food, we have drinks, sometimes we play games, sometimes we play cornhole, you know, or whatever. And it's also an opportunity to invite people that are maybe not in church or not in community group or maybe even far from the Lord, you know, into that space. I remember Courtney and Anna Yates that used to attend here before they moved to, to Florida, that's what they did. They came into, in Johnson City, Redstone, they came into a big table one night and we played cornhole. There was an amazing tournament back and forth going on for like two and a half hours and um, it was amazing. And Courtney, he walked away and said, oh, those guys aren't so weird after all. That was a lot of fun. And they showed up at church the following Sunday. And that was the thing that was used to connect you know, us to them. So this past Wednesday night, we had the Wednesday night groups. It's the Sam Adams' group and my group. We actually had um, a big table, okay? Um, it was fun. There was food. There was drink. There was laughter. It was really, really cold um, because we were in the big tent at Doe River Gorge. And while we were there, we were celebrating Jennifer Vernon, Vernon's, we'll just say her 39th birthday, okay? And it was amazing. And those moments, you walk away from them saying, man, it was just so much fun. I wish it could have lasted a little bit longer. We have an upcoming Christmas party that you all are all invited to. It's going to be on Sunday, um, December the 13th, and it's going to be at the coffee company. It's going to be at 5 o'clock, and we're going to have ugly Christmas sweaters, and we're going to have meat that the church is going to provide, and you all are going to bring sides and desserts, and we'll have hot chocolate, and we're going to have coffee, and it'll be great. It'll be amazing, okay? That's what a big table is. It's when all of the people come together, and they just fellowship, and they just enjoy one another. So this passage that we've looked at just shows that in the end, it's every nation, every tribe, every, every tribe, every people of every language, along with the angels and the heavenly creatures united as one, all there for the purpose, not of celebrating in 39th birthday, but just for celebrating the majesty 
of our good and faithful and lo- loving king. And it will be amazing. Matthew 18, 11, thinking about this table language, Matthew 18, 11 says it this way. He says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Or Revelation 19, 6 through 7, talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, there's table language that's there. We like tables at Redstone Elizabeth for some reason. But the marriage supper of the Lamb it will be the ultimate big table. You know, we're in preparation mode now. I mean, I guess we're supposed to be determining who brings the guac and who brings the cheese and who brings the chips and who brings the desserts. You know, but for us today, coming to the end of this table series, it's who's going into Jerusalem? Who's going into Judea? Who's going into Samaria? Who's going to the uttermost parts of the world? And we won't be celebrating that 39th birthday, but we will be celebrating Jesus, our Creator, the one who gives us life. And I know it's hard to wrap your head around that, and I pray that God will just remove everything that might be distracting any of us right now, and we understand that there there will be an end. Jesus will return. There will be death. There will be a moment that we're face-to-face with Christ, and there will be a big table. There will be a celebration, and it will be incredible. It will be amazing. Conclusion, we all have a part in this global multiplication process as we prepare for that big table. Every single believer. This is why we need to learn to be a witness and to share the gospel and to be willing to go and to live as children of the King, and to not be afraid of political systems and elections, and not to be afraid of sickness and disease or death itself. We should be different. We do have the truth, and it should show in the way that we are living our lives. Practically speaking, and I talked to Sunshine and Casey about this this week, because and they've got some illness in their home, so they're watching from home, but this is what it should look like. And this is, this is true. So Jennifer Tierney talks to um, Sunshine and just witnesses to her, just begins a dialogue. Sunshine comes in, she hears the gospel. Once she hears the gospel, she turns around and witnesses to, meaning she shares, this is what God is doing in my life. This is what is happening in my life. She didn't sit down and share the gospel with Casey, but she witnessed to the things that he had been doing in her life. And then Casey comes in and he hears the gospel and Casey gets sick. So practically speaking, what happens next is Sunshine and Casey continue to walk with the Lord, but then they take this truth. They witness to and they share the gospel with their own children. They have a lot of them, okay? And then they they do the same thing with their neighbors, and with their co-workers. And you see this, it starts to spread, you know, into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And what would it look like, this gospel multiplication, 
If we all did that, if we all did that for the next five years, what would that look like? And this is why, again, we must learn to be witnesses. We're going to help you with that at the first of the year, January, February, March. We are going to do some training. We're going to help you to learn how to be a witness. We're going to help you to learn how to share the gospel. But we must be open to multiplication of community groups as well. Tyranny group, you guys are just too big. You know, it's time, it's time to multiply. You know, Sam's group is too big. It's time to multiply. We have the other people that are coming into the church. Multiplication is a good thing. It's also why we must be thinking about, praying about, planting additional churches one day. It's why we must send support and pray for missionaries. It's why we must remember to pray for the persecuted Christians and the persecuted church all over the world. For when these things happen, multiplication takes place and it extends throughout our region and eventually reaches to the ends of the world. And we saw it or heard it earlier. And when that happens, Jesus returns. Let's look at this Revelation passage that we started with. Let's just look at it again. I've taken the liberties and just thrown in a couple of notes here. It says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And it says that they were clothed in white robes. Don't, don't go too fast you know, past that. They were clothed in white robes, and those white robes show us and remind us of the glory of the gospel that we are, because of what Jesus has done only, we are pure. We are holy. We are forgiven. We are reconciled. We are justified, and we are declared because of the gospel truths, no matter what you have done, no matter what struggles that you have had in your life and in your heart and what mistakes that you have made, if you believe the gospel and if you declare Jesus to be your Lord, you are declared forgiven. You are no longer guilty. Put on this white robe. And we see that in this passage. With palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud Voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see that? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here's a question for you When's the last time you cried out in praise to God with a loud voice? Have you done that recently? think we should you want to try it we'll start small and then we'll build i'll help us you ready salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb we said it but we didn't shout it salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb one more time salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb and imagine Every nation, every people group, every tribe, over and over, and they say this, all of the angels standing there around the throne, 
and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, and then they ended with, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. It's like when the angels, day and night, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. And then they repeat and they say it again, holy, holy, holy. There's not enough words. There's not enough descriptive language. And they don't know what to say. They're trying to say, you are God and you are amazing and you are holy and you are majestic, but I don't know how to do that. And sometimes I'll start my prayers like that. And Colby hears me in the morning. Sometimes I'll start off and I'll say, blessing and honor and glory and you know, power and praise, thanksgiving and celebration and the majesty. And I'm out of words. Belong to you, O God, for you are God and we are not. That's what's happening. And it's an amazing picture to the ends of the world all tongues and tribes and nations together with the angels and these living creatures and revelation that maybe Sam will preach about one day, right? We're just worshiping the Lord. Amen. This table, you know, we come back to this table again. The table has been set for us. The table begins with the gospel as the meal. That is the thing that we're giving away to people Otherwise, this table becomes morality and rules and regulations. There's nothing wrong with morality because morality means that you're doing the right things and you're acting the right way. But the motivation for doing so should be the gospel itself. We shouldn't just be serving to be serving. It should be the gospel that is the catalyst for that. So the gospel we give away, and in leg number one, we worship him with our lives in response to who he is and what he's done. And in leg number two, we see that as a Christian of community, that we are to live in community. We are to pray for one another. We are to encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, and we are to confess our sins one to another as well. And then we see in leg number three that we are to serve Him and His church with our very lives, with our time, with our monies, with the heavenly gifts that He has given to us to equip the saints and then ultimately to leg number four, to make him and his gospel known from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. That's our calling. The table is nothing but Christianity. This is what Christianity should look like. I said it earlier, but the table has been set. We need to apply these things and be doing these things on a regular basis to show the world that we really are Jesus' followers. Let's pray together. Oh God, I've enjoyed just going through this table sermon series. You indeed are the great multiplier. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for sending someone to witness to each of us that have called on you to be our Savior and our Lord. Thank you that someone shared with us the truths of the gospel. Now open the eyes of our hearts. Give us boldness by your Spirit that every believer that is present today 
would be willing to go to share, even if it takes us into uncomfortable places or situations, or even leads us to the uttermost parts of the world. Lord, you are worth it. And that is your call on each of us in our lives. And Lord, just like the elders and the four living creatures in our Revelation passage today who attempted to conjure up the appropriate words to tell you how they feel about you and to praise you, we do the same as we say in our hearts and with our voices, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And in the name of Jesus, your son that you gave for us, we pray. And just sit here for a moment, if you will, before we end our time of prayer at Redstone. We just ask that we just be still for a minute or two. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. And then we'll open it up to see if the body wants to respond.